Hello, and welcome to Ball Leadership. I'm Colin Pular, and along with my co-host, Cavis Reed, we explore a wide-ranging set of discussions on leadership. It involves exploring entertaining conversations about the challenges, learnings, ups and downs, and fundamentals of leadership. Our podcast and inter-female leaders in business, politics, community, athletics, and across a whole range of ages. Today's guest is Dr. Craig Dowden, best-selling author of the book, Do Good to Lead Well and A Time to Lead. He's a TED Talk speaker and a keynote speaker. He's written for the Financial Post and is also on the Forbes list of writers. We're having a great leadership talk with a lot of laughs. For me, great leadership starts with great self-leadership. So how can I expect to lead a, a, a team, an organization, if my own house is in disarray? And this is a lifelong process. That's also important. It's why I called it mastering yourself. Two words. It was it's mastering because it's continuous. We don't edit a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Raw in the raw. Do I stop now and be upset for the rest of the drive, or do I just wait? <laughs> oh man! Oh man! Hey, we got we got Craig. Hey. <laughs> Came in at the tail end of the crow story. Oh, the the doctor's in the house. I, we don't edit a whole lot. <laughs> That's great. Raw in the raw. In the raw. <laughs> hey, uh, so Cavis, uh, let me introduce you to, to Mr. Craig Dowden. And uh, Craig, this is Cavis uh, Reed. Hey, it's a pleasure to meet you, Craig. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> Craig, are you um, are, are you in Ottawa or are you in uh, yeah. Newfoundland? Okay. Right now, yeah. Okay. Did you get a chance to visit visit home? Uh, so I uh, flew my mom up for uh, for the holidays, so which was great. So she came oh. up uh, Wednesday, and then um, then flew back yesterday morning. So which was okay. great. So brought Newfoundland to me. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, have you been? Up, have you been to Newfoundland? Uh, no, I would, I've been to uh, Halifax a couple of times in Moncton. Yeah, but that but that's not. Yeah, that's, that's not, not that's, no, that's not, that's not the real deal. That's not the real deal. <laughs> Whenever they say coast to coast, uh, from the you know, Halifax to Vancouver, I'm like, no, <laughs> you gotta keep going east. <laughs> I've had the chance to be out there three times here in the last uh, two and a half years, and uh, one one for business and a, and a couple of times for competition. And, uh, and I've loved it. It's only been in St. John's and I've had a chance to kind of see a little bit of the coastline, but, um, uh, absolutely, absolutely loved it. Love the people were wonderful with me. I got a chance to find out, find out that, uh, that I wasn't a townie. I was really a Bayman. I make a better Bayman than a townie. So that, that, you know, whatever that, so Cavis, you may not know what that means, no. but crank it in. Craig can, can educate you if necessary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can take this <laughs> offline. I can do a webinar in like 30 minutes <laughs> on the history of, yep, Damon and Townie. So, yep. And, that's, and uh, I'm sure that will go viral for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, uh, so, so, Kevin, okay. When did when did you hit this crow? You have to tell me about this crow story. <laughs> no, no, no. So, I, 
Henri. Does Darlene know about the crime? Oh, yeah, she knows about oh, the Oh, okay, all right. The, <laughs> the entire family's in the car. <laughs> I, I usually drive, and they usually sleep. And um, it was, the roads weren't bad, but they were sketchy. And I'm a careful driver during the wintertime. And I'm always scanning for wildlife, always. You know, so going to rural Saskatchewan. But anyhow, the car in front of me interrupt the the crows having their their meal on the side of the road, and a whole flock of them. And as soon as they start to fly away, I go, "This is not going to be good." Like this is not going to be good. And I forgot to honk my horn. And as soon as I thought to honk my horn, wham! This big thud is about minus twenty, and I know. With the way cars are designed now, something's something's broke, something's damaged. It is going to cost a lot of money. So, so I, I checked to make certain that the crow was, you know, out of this misery. And otherwise, you have to go back and and do what you need to do. But it was, I think, dead on impact. So anyhow, uh, confirm he was down for the count, and I kept driving. I'm thinking. Do I stop now? <laughs> I got two hours left on this trip, this drive. Do I want to be angry for two hours of the drive? <laughs> or do I just keep going and figure out the damage later? Uh, I figure I'll just keep going, <laughs> count my blessings, be thankful. <laughs> no one's hurt. You know, the, the animal is out of its misery. When we stop for gas, <laughs> I decided to go around and look. The entire the bumper is split. The fog light is <laughs> no more. It, it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> so I'm trying to keep my cool. Going okay. Is this going to be one where you call insurance, or is this one you're going to <laughs> you have to just bite the bullet? If it's my car, it would just be taped. <laughs> <laughs> that tape was MacGyver, the Red Green Show. <laughs> <laughs> but being it's the wife's car, I'm holding my breath. <laughs> I called uh, uh, Herbers, uh, free advertising. We got to charge them for the promotion. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> to get an estimate on January 6th, then I'm pretty sure the entire bumper is going to have to be replaced. But here's the funny part. The same carcass that was there when we were going that caused me to hit this crow is still on the side of the road. <laughs> and they're still feasting. <laughs> well, it's kind of like leftovers at Christmas, Kavis. So you just kind of you just kind of keep nibbling for days. <laughs> it's not just one meal, man. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so me and traveling Colin just does not go well. <laughs> well, um, so that's traveling from Edmonton to Macklin. Yes, yes. Yeah, the metropolis of Macklin, Saskatchewan. <laughs> Craig, I don't know. Have you have you spent any time in in really Saskatchewan, Alberta? Um, spent some time in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Um, traveled, you know, Calgary, Edmonton, around that area, Red Deer. So um, haven't had any episodes like Cavus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You'll steer clear of that, although now I've got added that to my list. But uh, yeah, things yeah, not to do, Craig. Craig. That's right. Well, yeah, exactly. 
you know, winter winter in the prairies is is uh, is always interesting. We just had um, a it gets really dry. So this, uh, you know, Craig being in Ottawa, cold is wet cold. And <laughs> Saskatchewan, Alberta, it's it's a dry cold, <laughs> and and it, it gets dry. So we went from uh, what was it? What was it a week ago, Cavis? It was like minus, minus forty one. Minus forty one uh, with the yeah, yeah with the wind chill yeah uh, so thirty something plus wind and then it and then it got really nice out and then it dumped about fifteen centimeters of snow and uh, fifteen or twenty something like that and uh, so you know it's snow it's a sketch you got to clean you got to clear the snow well it snowed and then another day later it rained mm. so um, it went from <laughs> went from you. Yeah, from one end to the other. So it rained, and then it froze again. So Perfect. everything had this thick layer of ice on there. I mean, you were using a chisel and a hammer to clear the ice <laughs> off. <you know? laughs> so, and, so that's um, that that that's a prairie winter here. So that, that, that's a pretty normal week. That's, pretty normal <laughs> week that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> pretty normal half of our year. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, and then outside of that, this dry cold, um, it's amazing how Cavus looks as good as he does because we have to use as much lotion just mm-hmm. to keep the skin hydrated and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so if you ever come, if you ever do a visit out here with, with, with us and we, we, we meet up, I'm going to, you know, the traditional gift uh, is going to include some hand lotion. <laughs> we got lots of tips on this already. So, yeah, oh, yeah. skin care yeah. regimen. Yeah, skin care, right. how to avoid it's, the crows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Travel. Uh, this is a full buffet of, <laughs> of insights. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so uh, <laughs> well, uh, folks listening to this podcast, um, well, welcome, welcome, Craig. Uh, Craig Dowd is a um, PC and, and, a, and a guest on our show. Um, I had the opportunity to meet Craig in, in Ottawa a few weeks ago. Um, I was uh, uh, Caves as we were talking before. I was uh, I was there with my responsibilities with the uh, Canadian Chamber of Commerce um, meetings, and uh, we got introduced by David Smith, who's been a guest on our show um, uh, a couple of times. And uh, so, so David introduced Craig and I by uh, by, by a quick email. Uh, so while I was in Ottawa, Craig, Craig messaged me directly and said, well, you know, maybe we can uh, connect in like a little bit. And I said, well, great. As soon as I get back from Ottawa, I'll call you. He says, oh, you're in Ottawa. <laughs> goes, yeah, well, I'm in Ottawa. So I had no idea. And uh, so I just, you know, I'm in the meetings, trying to look professional in the meetings, of course, right? Doing my delegate work. And so I just took a little break and <laughs> called Craig, are you really in Ottawa? And uh, a couple hours later, we were sitting in the restaurant in my hotel. <laughs> so uh, uh, Craig had some great hospitality right off the, right off the bat. And it was like, uh, it was like getting together with an old friend. Um, uh, Craig, uh, I've read, had a chance to meet, read both of your books. Um, uh, bestseller, uh, uh, Do Good to Lead Well. And, uh, and your second book is a, a time to lead, which uh, included a collaboration with uh, Alan Mulally and and um, uh, Sarah MacArthur. And uh, you you've been on a book tour for like the last two months. 
signing all over the place. Like I, I go online and you're like in New York and then you're in Vancouver and then you're in Toronto and like where where are all the places you've been to sign this thing? <laughs> yeah, you've pretty well captured them. Uh, yeah, New York, Vancouver. So it was great to be in New York for the official launch. And uh, we had uh, Barnes Noble on fifth. So it was great, great experience. And then did a, a live stream with Alan. So Alan zoomed in oh, and cool. uh, joined us yeah, at the publisher's office. And then uh, did a did a signing in Vancouver and Toronto. Going to be in Calgary. So talking about Alberta. <laughs> so be in Calgary at uh kind of later January, so I'll be able to bring these tips with me, put them in my bag, and off I go. And uh, I'm doing an event in Ottawa, it looks like, um, as well, and exploring a couple other uh, couple other cities, So, which is really great, uh, be able to get out, meet people, and, and have uh, some fun, engaging conversations uh, about life and leadership. That's uh, that's awesome. And, and uh, Craig, you live full-time in Ottawa, you've got, you've got uh, your, your partner family there, and and uh, so again, that's where I had a chance to uh, to meet Craig. Um, uh, Craig, one of the reasons, one of the big reasons I wanted to get both you and Cabus on on the line here today is because there's a few things you you've got in common. Brace yourself. This is your life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that was friendly. Come on, it's going to be lots of fun and laughter, and just kind of you know, it's like come on in. It's safe, warm in the water, and then off we go. Lamb. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> well, no, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. I mean, you, you, you both work in talent management. Uh, I, I, you know, if I remember correctly, right? Because you, Craig, you work in talent management firm for a number of years, and. And Cavis, you've got a very, you know, very similar background working yeah. in, in HR recruitment yeah. for what seventeen years, fifteen, yeah. seventeen years, something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, Cavis has been, you know, the general management role or senior executive role, and in, in certainly in the sports realm, and also, um, you know, on boards and in, in business sector. And and so I thought it was, I thought it'd be kind of cool when I met Craig that maybe the three of us could chat because, uh, <laughs> uh, you know. I was reading a bit of your background, um, you know, even, you know, in the couple of hours I had before we met <laughs> in person. So like I said, I felt like we were like old friends now. Right. But, but um, I mean, I, you know, when I read, I read uh, the financial post and this, I'm like, wait a minute, I have read, I have read some of your articles in the financial post and um, you're in the Forbes list and you've been doing executive coaching and that's how we met. You know, that, that's how my connection with, with David uh, Smith uh, uh, through to you. And uh, what I really found cool was a lot of the work you've been doing around positive leadership because that, that's really been the essence of of uh, Cavis and, and, and my conversations around how do we become, um, how do we develop ourselves and help others who are interested in leadership uh, develop to become more positive leaders, have positive impact. And uh, maybe challenge some of the things that we thought is, you know, status quo, um, as you kind of mentioned your first book, um, kind of the status quo leadership model that, you know, we've uh, we've particularly been challenged with. So, um, so that's the reason I wanted to get you all together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, All so, right. yeah. I was wondering down. what was coming out here. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so so Craig, would you be okay to maybe just tell us a little bit about how, like 
how the path went, because I mean, you started in a firm and then you went, you did some stuff at school and then you got an executive, like how did this trajectory, because it wasn't a straight line. It couldn't have been a straight line. No, not even close uh, to a straight line. Uh, and when I was growing up, I was just always fascinated by what makes people tick. So I was just fascinated by human behavior and relationships and then how different people could look at the same situation very, very differently. It's like they almost were watching two different movies. And I just thought that was so intriguing. And whenever uh, my friends had any challenges, they'd come to me to talk about them and I would ask lots of questions. So, which led me to psychology. Uh, and then I figured, I found out about psychology and business, which I thought was also incredibly fascinating. Uh, people have, we each have personalities, organizations have personalities, you mesh them together. And um, you're, in my mind, I was never going to be bored. So fortunately, I was, I was right. Um, and then wanted to pursue uh, a graduate degree. I actually did my master's in forensic psychology, criminal justice psychology. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. <laughs> Only here is here, right? <laughs> so, uh, so this is kind of a CSI. That's right. Mix in there too. All right. There okay. you go. Yeah, did that. <laughs> and uh, and then as I as I explored more of uh, being at the criminal justice conferences. Um, you know, came across consulting psychology and business psychology. And so really wanted to dive deeper into that space. And in particular, uh, for me, I was passionate about bridging the gap between science and practice. I always thought research and practice was just this fascinating combination and had the good fortune of reading Daniel Pink, who everyone knows now is the multiple New York Times bestselling author. His One of his earliest books was Free Agent Nation. And it was around how free agents, he's always been able to have this masterful ability to predict the future. And he talked about how free agents were going to rule the world of work. And I was fascinated by entrepreneurship. And so that's what I did for my dissertation. And then, uh, as you pointed out, uh, you know, once I finished my, my PhD, uh, was able to take on a managing director role in a talent management firm uh, in Ottawa was recruited for a managing director role in Toronto and then basically started my own, uh, went out on my own about, you know, eight years ago. Uh, so it's just been a, a wonderful journey ever since. That's, uh, that's cool. So CK, this is not so bad. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I was bracing for impact, but <laughs> Craig, one of the things I read in, uh, in some of the excerpts that uh, Colin sent me and some research myself is you talked just briefly about it. And then in your books, uh, you kind of organize around it, the personalities of companies. Mm -hmm. Can you ex expand on that a, just a little bit more? Because uh, a lot of people might go, what does that mean? The personality of a, of a company or a firm? No, it's a, it's a great question and, and and really it's it's the intangible it's it's essentially culture in a lot of ways it's the way we do things around here uh that classic expression culture eat strategy for breakfast <laughs> and, and it's all around so i find that personality of the organization it's how when you walk into any organization how do you feel how does it look what's the energy that's within it and those interpersonal relationship dynamics and they really power whether or not we excel or whether or not we struggle. 
Uh, there's a lot of great psychological research that shows that emotions are contagious. So whether or not I'm excited to show up the office every day or if I'm dreading it, well, guess what? That's not only going to impact me, it's going to impact my colleagues. And hey, as a leader, I'm going to have a disproportionate impact on the mood of my organization. And so that's what I love. You know, it really intrigued me that there are lots of great business ideas out there. There are lots of highly efficient organizations that are out there, yet that the personality is the secret sauce. And so you can find countless examples where an organization has all the tools in place to be successful, funding, great idea, product, marketing strategy, and then the relationships right, come together and really can undermine that. So to me, I think it's such a powerful uh, influence or foundation, if you will, about how any organization, be it professional, like a business organization, a community organization, a family, it, it has a personality. So, Thanks for that. And, and I really would like to go down this path, Colin, because it's, yeah. uh, from a GM coach perspective, you always said putting together a group of personalities is very, very delicate. That ecosystem is very delicate, and you have to be very careful the personalities you introduce in there. Uh, can you please uh, help me, if you, if you will, from a leadership perspective, should your attention be more on understanding the personalities you're bringing together, or should you focus half on the personality, a little bit on the personality, and the end goal of the organization, which they always say it's the bottom line. But as you said, <laughs> If you don't have the people driving the culture and the environment, you may be compromising the bottom line. So what's the priority for a leader in terms of putting the personalities together? Yeah, I think you have to be very mindful of that. And it's one of the reasons it influenced my the title of my first book, Do Good to Lead Well. It's because a lot of times people think, oh, well, you, you have to lead through fear and aggression and drive, 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 and that's going to lead to positive results. And the evidence is quite contrary. You know, when you have positive emotions, positive relationships, it leads to exceptional business outcomes, uh, sports outcomes. I mean, you name it, any collective uh, of individuals brought together. And so... As a leader, it's essential to understand each of the individuals who are part of your team, no matter how large the team is and what makes them tick individually. And then it's essential to recognize now how do all of those personalities come together? Because there's, I mean, you can use a sports analogy where you've got great individual contributors, like amazing talent, and they underperform as a collective because they're not meshing. And I love how you comment on the sacredness of bringing those personalities together. And once you've got that sense of almost micro-macro, okay, I understand each of the pieces, I understand how they fit together, then also you want to integrate, now where are we going? How are we going to get there? And then what is the role that each of these individuals can play? And what is the role that each of these individuals think they can play? <laughs> and now you have these amazing conversations on multiple levels individually and collectively about how we're going to get there and that to me again and i'll admit raise my hand and admit my bias that's why i want to pursue psychology is that i just that's such a fascinating series of conversations to have and it's less about the components it's really about the intermixing of those components and the awareness of those components and the psychology uh, underlying them so you know one of the things i, I really appreciate about about 
your book and even listening to you now is just in my own journey. Um, I, I, my, my initial understandings of, of leadership, um, I mean, those changed dramatically as I, as I began to get exposed to the kinds of roles and responsibilities associated with leadership, where I, I thought it was very much, you know, the business acumen, the technical elements that were the most important things, um, to, uh, to being a successful leader, whether that be in a, you know, a, a, I call it the two person popsicle stand kind of business or, or, or something that. That, that has dozens or hundreds or even thousands of, uh, of people working uh, working together. And, you know, the, the, the ideas of uh, some of the things, you, the pillars that you talked about in your book, I always heard that as being, oh, the soft skills. Like they were, they were less important than the hard skills. And, but in actual practice, over time, I realized the hard skills were were, were kind of useless unless you figured out how to how to deal with the with, with the soft skills. What what you know what people were traditionally calling the soft skills, which you know I, I, I read through your book and and the impression I got is that these are probably the most important skills, um, and especially at the times that we're in, the most important skills that we could have. And, you know, yeah, we got to know, we have to know how to put the widgets together, but we really don't need to be the experts on that. You know, we're assembling a team that can, you know, that, that has the mix of technical, but we got to make sure the interpersonal pieces and, and the kind of the, the, the essence, um, as a, I guess is the, the term I'm looking for, um, existed. And, but, you know, like I said, the, the kind of the status quo is that these two were in competition with one another, but that's not at all what you're saying. Like you're, you're, you're saying these not just integrate, but they are a powerful combination when you put it together. Uh, and it's a great, great insight. And one of the best book titles of all time is Marshall Goldsmith's What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Uh, right around yeah. that transition to coming back to, and I love that's the spirit of, of this podcast, which is so how do you, how do we each of us commit to being the best version of ourselves as possible so that we can lead ourselves and inspire and lead others? I think that's just the ultimate pursuit. Um, and so that book title continuously rings strongly with me. And, and I think when you, when, when you look at things, once again, you can have the best widgets, the best idea. So let's pull one as an example. That, and, and those pillars come from, because this is important as well for me, when, in both of the books, I went through decades of research to highlight those qualities, those skills that have been heavily researched and the evidence has come out as overwhelmingly positive around their role in being effective leaders and driving not just great human connection and human relationships, extraordinary bottom line performance, because that's necessary for an organization to not just survive, to thrive. And so as an example, humility. How can we exist in the world today without some measure of humility? I mean, things are changing so rapidly, so quickly, and and people from all over have extraordinary access to information. It's coming in so quickly. So what we need to do is, is create a space where we can openly share information and pivot. When you listen to any of the top thought leaders' uh, articles about what you need to survive and thrive in, in the business world today, it's agility, adaptability, flexibility. Well, there's, 
Where, how are you going to do that if you're egotistical and narcissistic? That's going to be a bit of a challenge. <laughs> I mean, that those those words are rarely <laughs> stated with that kind of personality. So you, you've got to be able to do that. As well as, and here's another one, and it's something I wrote about in my latest book, was around mastering our emotions. Right? People constantly talk about, well, there's no, it's 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 business, not personal. It's business. Like, no. <laughs> if if we're all, if it's all robotic, sure, all right, yeah, absolutely. You put human beings together in any form or function, emotions come with us. And what I love about emotions is that they're the secret sauce, right? You don't get engagement through <laughs> analysis, and I'm not going to think my way into and get. I'm going to feel it, right? When I'm excited about being here, when people are listening to your podcast, they pick up on your energy, right? That's why they're here. Yeah. You can have the same conversation between two different people. They're not going to come back and listen like they do your podcast because of the energy. Right away, there's a positivity, there's a joy, there's an exploration, right? That's what gets people excited. And so rather than trying to shy away from emotion, in in business it's essential to acknowledge it and say how do we capitalize on this how do we bring more of it the positive right that energizing force into the work that we do yeah craig i i truly believe i read a lot and studied a lot on servant leadership that you often heard and people keep saying it we always have to preface that humility is not a weakness it's actually a strength and it's it's sad to say that we have to preface that when we speak about something so important in every aspect of our lives, no one like an arrogant individual that is narcissistic and the world revolves around them. When you look at this from a leadership perspective and we're trying to challenge the norm, we're trying to get people to think differently. All throughout our lives, we're at that age where we can probably say, what we thought as leaders when we looked at it was that stern-faced military guy that was going to whip us into shape and command our respect. Is there a challenge to that? Can we have the same in humility and have that same kind of sternness and decisiveness? For sure. I think there are so many wonderful places to go with that observation, Cavis. And and I think, so I had the privilege of interviewing Doug Conant. He's the former CEO of Campbell's uh, and engineered one of the most profound engagement turnarounds in the history of the Gallup. So Gallup organization tracks engagement data for decades. And when uh, Doug Conant took over, they were Campbell's pretty well at the bottom. When he left, they were pretty well at the top. People were just amazed. And I love this expression he shared with me, right? I'm tough on standards and I'm soft on people. And I think, and I love that. And what is interesting, and it's already, you know, a thread in our conversation, which I think this is just a natural thing that we as humans do. We simplify and we often dichotomize. Well, I can be successful or I can be nice. And we see them as competing. And what I love about what Doug shared, it's an and, right? It's, well, how I can be tough on standards and soft on people. So how do I do both of those things? And that's where I find, that's why I'm so passionate about positive leadership. Because in 
some cases people think, oh, well, let's all sing and, and you know, and hold hands and, and just kind of, and the, and the ship is sinking and, oh, it's great, don't worry about it. We're taking on more water. This is fantastic. And that's Playing not the what it is. That's right. Yeah, and everyone's up. I'll my newfie roots, right? Doing the jig and all excited. That it's and then how do you? That doesn't again. That's not viable. It's not. It's it's not sustainable. It's and so what's really important is is that hey, I can I can pursue excellence, and I don't have to rip myself apart or other people apart to do it. And in fact. What's going to facilitate that? What's going to facilitate that is creating an environment where that can naturally come to the surface. You know, um, in, in your, you know, the other pillars of the book, when you, when you put these all things, all this together, uh, Craig, and, you know, I'm, I'm finding, I've been finding that as, um, you know, the, the folks in, in either in the organization that, that, that I'm, uh, that I work with and as a, as a CEO there, or with other organizations where I'm on a board, I, I, I'm spending far more time talking to them about um, things like energy and focusing on positive elements, on the self-awareness, huge amounts of time on, on the conversations that are about self-awareness, you know, recognizing and taking the time not to be hard on yourself, but to recognize, hey, there's there's opportunities for me to, to improve, to get better, to, um, you know, maybe the way that I carried myself into that last meeting wasn't the best of, wasn't my best and, and be open to, um, having other folks kind of point that out in a way that, to, you know, to make you better. And, um, and, and so I, I, you know, I've been finding myself spending more time with that. I, I think on a, I think I might've mentioned this to you, uh, back when you had, uh, you'd host a session with, uh, Howard Behar. And, um, and I said that, you know, somebody had come to me and said, you know, I'm finding myself longer in this role. Suddenly I'm finding myself to become more compassionate. <laughs> um, and you know, that was not their background. They came from a very technical background, uh, work with fortune 500 companies in a very technical role now finding themselves in senior leadership and using words like compassion in the middle of a sentence and almost being a little embarrassed about saying that to me. And uh, I thought that was the most insightful thing. Um, and you know, it really, it struck me. And, you know, I, I, you know, while that would not be considered coaching in the, um, in the traditional sense, I found it was a great opportunity to have conversation with somebody who was likely to become uh, a senior, like, you know, senior leader, senior executive in, a, in an organization, either here or, or or elsewhere, just because of their where they are in their development. Mm. Well, and and I love that you mentioned uh, self awareness, and and if we think about that for a moment, we have we each have a view, a self view of who we think we are and how we're showing up, right? And so then that's going to drive our perception of things. Mm -hmm. Yet, in many cases, and there's so much, again, psychological research around this in terms of the self-serving bias, which our view of ourselves can be highly inaccurate and often is quite inaccurate. And so for in order for us to show up as the best version of ourselves and have the impact that we want to have on other people and on our circumstances, it's vital for us to receive feedback from our environment because 
I'm likely going to be the most biased source of how I'm showing up because I'm going to think I'm doing amazing. Uh, or else I wouldn't be doing it that way. So, and, you know, when you're in a CEO role, people always laugh at your jokes, no matter how yeah. bad they are. <laughs> You know, yes. so sometimes you're you're not really getting unfiltered feedback, <laughs> right? And you need that. You need. I mean, in every situation. And what's a common refrain that I hear, or common complaint in my coaching practice, or conversations I have with teams or organizations that I'm working with, is that, oh, well, I wish I knew that sooner. I wish I. Or why didn't you tell me that sooner? Yeah. Right? Like, what's the because? Well, and and Alan, who you mentioned earlier, who I collaborated with on this book. You know, he said uh, uh, so many uh, insightful uh, observations, and and he said, you know, you can't manage a secret. So we can't manage a secret in organizations. We also can't manage a secret in terms of ourselves. So what we want to do is create the conditions where we can access that information, either about the project of me or the project we're working on, so that then we can ultimately have the impact that we desire to have. You know, um, you know, can't manage a secret. That 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 is a uh, I'm going to say a famous line of um, the board chair that hired me in my first CEO role, <laughs> <laughs> and, and he would say, "Colin, you can't fix a secret. You can't fix a secret." He would say that to me all the time, right? Yes. And um, so to to hear that, Alan and others have said the same same kind of thing. Like, okay, this is cool. You know, obviously they obviously they they they've gone through the same kind of growth. Um, it, it, in your in your second book, Time to Leave, um, you know you you acknowledge. I thought this was timing wise was a, was a fantastic book, and thanks for signing this book for me. I think I made David jealous. He won't admit <laughs> it, <laughs> but uh, I made sure I showed it to him, and he's like, "Oh no, that's great." I could tell in his eye. That <laughs> but, I'll have to um, write an email after this. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Maybe, maybe it'll make him feel better. That's right. <laughs> but like in, in your second book, you you know you acknowledge um, you know that leaders are working through the most I'm going to say the most difficult times in our history, really complicated times. And and you know I would say you know the last couple of years, both you know it just from a formal leadership. Uh, position as well as, you know, in volunteer roles, whether that be on boards or, you know, with involved with the chamber and seeing lots of business leaders and having those relationships. Um, you know, the thing that you call VUCA, the, you know, the, the, the volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous times that we're in, everything from, you know, challenges that people have had being isolated, um, and, you know, for long periods of time, not being close to their coworkers, um, sometimes being able to put a bit of a facade on how well things are going because we've got these devices in front of us, and you know the, the same ability for for you know you and I and Cavus to connect. Um, you know, when do we turn off our cameras and shut off our computers? What's life really like for us inside? We can we can work ourselves up to 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 look good in front of this little box, um, but really. You know, the rest of the room could be a disaster. The rest of our lives could be a disaster. <laughs> and um, and the, the, the things that you talk about navigating, you talk about these seven areas to master um, in your life. And, and um, you know, I think it's something that both Kavis and I really appreciated because, you know, we've spent some time doing a, 
I, I, we did a, a debrief on the book uh, by Carol Dweck, uh, Mindset. Mm. And you talk about mindset. We did a debrief with a with a team of people together. Um, you know, we talk about you know being a master of your strengths. And you know, as I shared with you personally, um, uh, working with, with uh, Tom Rath's uh, uh, book on um, strength finders, and so you know that those kinds of elements you talk about these areas of mastery to be able to to be able to 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 move forward how would you know would you want to talk a bit a bit more about the context of it because this is a this is really an interesting time we're in and, and why we felt it was really important to carry a podcast that was fun and we spent a lot of time laughing at each other <laughs> but was also really meaningful for people who are developing or just kind of as saying goes going through it Absolutely, and 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 going back to your point, and it's we are in a VUCAfied world, uh, a VUCA world, and it's been gaining steam for many years. And that's something I would say as well. That's important for the context, uh, Colin. In terms of, I mean, these trends that we're really living through now have been happening for quite some time. So as an example, I mean, remote work wasn't, you know, that was happening right. pre-pandemic. I would say even more importantly, like mental health, that was a burning, that was a burning platform and issue for many, many years. And we just were, as, as we sometimes can do, not paying full attention to it because things were staying together. And then when COVID hit, boom, yeah, and yeah. It blew apart. And so environmental, social justice, uh, so many things, again, that have been operating have come front and center. So you're absolutely bang on that this is, when has there ever been a more complex time to lead where you're not just managing the bottom line, you're managing so many different things and that people are expecting you to comment on a lot of different areas and issues that just wasn't part of leadership. Right. just a few short years ago. And so, and, and I really appreciate your question because, and this was the genesis of, of, of the book, was that for me, great leadership starts with great self-leadership. So how can I expect to lead a, a, a team, an organization, if my own house is in disarray? And this is a lifelong process. That's also important. It's why I called it mastering yourself two words it was it's mastering because it's continuous this isn't i wake up tomorrow and hey congratulations high five i've mastered me no the longer we go the, the more complex it gets the more layers that we're peeling back and so then and and where that came from was exactly what you're talking about which is during the pandemic people were wondering how are we going to get out of this which really underneath that was like, how am I going to get out of this? Right. Like, how do I need to rally myself and get myself ready? And so, and what I wanted to do was go through the research. Again, that's why I wanted to pursue my PhD. I wanted to have access to, understand, reference, evidence-based insights, because there's lots of different opinions and ideas and models. I wanted to go through the research and say, now, what has consistently found uh, to be important for us to be at our best personally and professionally. And so the seven uh, qualities, mastering your mindset, mastering your emotions, mastering your resilience, mastering your strengths, 
mastering receiving feedback well, mastering difficult conversations, and mastering authentic leadership, these have continually shown to be important. And I love, to your point, exactly why mastering our mindset was the first chapter and the fantastic work of Carol Dweck, which was an important foundational piece of that opening chapter, which is our mindset impacts so much. So if I'm walking into this conversation going, oh, this is going to be torturous, <laughs> we're going to have a terrible time, <laughs> and, well, guess what? Like, that's going to impact my energy and impact yeah. how we relate to one another. And same thing, right? Like, if it, how you're looking at me, our mindset strongly impacts our experiences. And so to not recognize that, again, that softer skill, yet, whether I see something as a problem or as an opportunity, it's going to influence the choices I make. It's going to influence the things that I say. So you cannot put a price tag on how vital that is um, to look at what we're, how, what we're thinking and how we're thinking. Well, the, the, the great thing that, that I really appreciate about the book, and, and I'm actually going to go, go through it again because, you know, it's one thing to read it. It's another thing to use it as a tool um, that has, you know, a set of tools in there. I, I really appreciate that Alan Lawley's role in it in um, kind of framing, here's the class, okay? So you've read some theory, right? <laughs> you've, you've read the academic side of this, now here's the application side. And, you know, it's it's um, it, it's something that I found really, really nice about, about your book, <laughs> to be honest with you, is, is that I'm like, because I'm processing this, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm reasonably smart. There's times that I, you know, Camus is far brighter than guy than I'll ever be, <laughs> but I'm like, I, I think I'm reasonably smart, but how does this actually work for me? And, you know, I think it's important for somebody who maybe hasn't read your book or you've been on your website or anything like it's to kind of understand some of the principles that you're able to shift from an academic perspective for, you know, where it was a lot of research and study and stats to, how do I apply this in my, mm -hmm. in my day-to-day -day life? What things can I practice in, in my day-to-day -day life? And, and I, you know, I think it's, I think it'd be useful um, if, if you're able to, to, to talk a little bit about that and, and how, you know, and, and how he had um, kind of his role in that and, and why he decided to put that together. No, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And that was the the goal of of creating the master classes. So, um, and and whenever leadership books come out, uh, and in conversations that I've had, people will say, oh, "Okay, well, it's particularly positive psychology or soft skills, right?" <laughs> They'll go, yeah, yeah, yeah. "Well, yeah, that's fine for a smaller boutique firm or a mid sized this or." But that won't happen in a publicly traded company or a Fortune 500 or a global or whatever. So what a, one of the things that one of the primary methods I wanted to use in putting together this book was that, okay, I'm going to have an evidence base. I'm also going to provide some evidence-based insight exercises from that. And now to address that criticism, right, that comes out, okay, well, tell me how it worked in one of these massive organizations. My initial goal was... Well, I was going to have master classes from different executive CEOs that I've coached. Okay. And then I had the good fortune, the amazing fortune of, of, of getting in touch with Alan and who reached out to me. And then we started a conversation. 
And then I thought, wouldn't it be awesome to have master classes? So at the end of each chapter, which basically was able to consolidate the content that had been shared up to that point, and then this is how it applied. And then when Alan and I were speaking, I said, I can't think of anyone. He's led Boeing commercial airplanes and Ford's two of the most globally recognized, most complex organizations in the world. So, Alan, would you be open to teaching a masterclass in each chapter around how mastering our mindset applied within your working together management system, which produced extraordinary results? And so I just feel eternally grateful that he was open to the idea. And as we collaborated further, he agreed to sign on with Sarah MacArthur, the co-editor-in-chief of Leader to Leader. And so we were able to uh, essentially provide a masterclass at the end of each chapter that highlighted how these things came to life again during his tenure, his extraordinary tenure in two uh, amazing organizations. Listen to part two. Best-selling author, Dr. Craig Dowden, author of Do Good to Lead Well and A Time to Lead. You're going to have a great second episode.